Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Chef Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom, and welcome to a brand new year. I think I said this last week on last week's show with Malka, but today, no, today is the first day of the rest of our lives, and that's because today's Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan. We're putting the whole Tishrei and all that stuff kind of behind us, but we're still getting pushed along with the newness uh, and that new smell of those new shoes uh, and that, you know, just that feeling that we are new. And but yet today is when the as we talked about last week, the Shigra, the regular life begins. And with that, I am delighted to welcome Rabbi Mike Foyer. Rabbi Mike, shalom and welcome. Oh, shalom, Yeshayat. Good to see you. Shalom, Rabbi Mike Foyer. Shalom to the Pardes Institute and shalom to the Land of Israel Network. This week's Torah portion is Noach. It's basically Act Two of creation, right? It's it's basically the two Torah portions that are, uh, shall we say, global, general, uh, downright biblical, biblical, but also like this is not the narrative of the regular biblical Correct. narrative. This is not Israel. It's not Abraham. It's not Moses. It's setting the stage. It's setting the the global stage, and therefore it has global interest. I was thinking about this, Rabbi Mike. I was thinking about this. Two Torah portions that are very uh, famous in the eyes of the Gentiles. And one of the ways that you can measure that is that they are cinematographic, meaning to say movies are made of them. And that is Noah. Yes. And the Exodus. For sure. And I was thinking they have, they have a general message for the world, which is be bad, God will destroy this world. And it all comes from the water. Right. That's right. And and liberation and freedom, which is the Exodus story. Sure. Two very, very general messages. Well, I mean, arguably they both have the same message, just with a different emphasis. Noah is heavy on the punishment, but there is that liberation that we'll speak about that moment of coming out of the ark. Right. And uh, the Exodus, true, the emphasis is on liberation, but... Who gets left behind? Those Egyptians drowning in the sea as we're singing praises of the Lord and marching through on dry land. So there's kind of a strong parallel there. Sure, sure. And there's another strong parallel, which is the Noah and Moses characters, uh, which the Zohar tells us is that is that Mo- Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, is actually a Gilgul, a uh, reincarnation, reincarnation of, of Noah. And, and they both had an ark. They both had an ark. They both had, he had a baby ark, but he right. had an ark. They both had this 40 days principles. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot in common, they're, and they're both messianic characters. And I bet they both had big white beards. At they least that's both, the way they always show up in the movies. That's right. That's right. Well, they definitely have beards, probably. Uh, in any case, in any case, uh, Noah is, we don't think of it this way, but Noah is a messiah. Noah saves the world. Yes, the world is destroyed, but he is the ember. The seed. The seed, the data mm-hmm. of, of the world gone, the world destroyed. That's right. And reconstituted through this man, Noah. Well, I mean, it, I don't know how far we want to go with this, but it's it's never about the numbers in the eyes of God. And we as Jewish people can know that living in the generation where we still have not yet repopulated from the third of our people that were eliminated by the evil of the Nazis. But nevertheless, and I hear this all the time from people, it's like, numbers, numbers, we've got to have more Jews. And I think, well, okay, I'm not against that, but how about we talk about the quality that we're trying to produce? Like, what's the mission? It's not just repopulation. Sure. So there's, it's worth it to think about what was it in Noah that caused God to look at him and say, I can work with that. Right. But I do, before you go to jump to that, I do want to remember the great quote by Napoleon who <laughs> said famously that quantity has a quality all on its own. Oh. That's, <laughs> he had a great I didn't phrase, know that quote. That's a good a one. Quote. And, and, and that's because he was willing to give a lot of, you know, he was a lot of, willing to let a lot of his soldiers die. Oh, that was his art form. It was right. just the hammer. 
right. unleashed with the <clears throat> unleashed with the artillery and the massive infantry assault and right. you'll take care of whatever right. needs to happen. We have to remember that he was a cannon boy. Always uh, that, that that's who Napoleon was. If it weren't for that sunken road at Waterloo, the whole world would speak French today. <laughs> that's right. And then what he he had another quote. He said, "If I could if I could have control of the channel for 3 hours, I can control the world." Mhm. That's what he said, but he couldn't do it. Any my case, teenager said the same thing, holding a remote control the other day. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Oh, my gosh. I got a kid who, 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 you know, I got one of my kids. He is just, he loves the phone, and he's, he gets addicted sometimes, and we have to be like, no, you yeah, can't have mom's phone. Yeah, be careful with that. It's a real thing. Okay, here we go. Speaking of, of, uh, of uh, global corruption. Hmm. And that's really what happened. The world became corrupt. God's creation became corrupt. It became broken. And God says, I need to etch-a-sketch this sucker, okay? I need shake to sh- it up shake and it up again, yeah. and start again. <clears throat> and I want, and I, but at the same time, to me, the ark is a giant seed. That's the way I see it, a seed floating on water with all the connotations of the word seed. Meaning to say there is data, there's genetic data about how to recreate the world after that, and it's a seed floating. I think it's even a kind of seed shape if you really kind of look at what the ark really is biblically not the way it's been drawn it's kind of triangle it's a kind of you know it's our, it's a triangle on top it's it's kind of rectangular it's certainly made of wood and got lots of stuff inside right it's got full a lot of potential stuff. Full i mean that's potential. that's the essence there right and full of full of knowledge and now i the Hasidut says that in, in indeed the animals were inanimate and became unlike what we usually think of it as that that Noah fed the animals and there was three different levels on the ark. Shoveled a lot of poop. Shoveled a lot of poop. Uh, there was, uh, according to Hasidut, some some Hasidut ideas is that they became the idea of animals, meaning to say, in my mind, zeros and ones or 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 DNA RNA, right? Whatever they are, well, they, they were the, they were the genotype and not the phenotype. They're the source code and not right. the expression. Right, and and this goes to the heart, I think, of the relationship between what you already called the first round of creation and the second, which to me is really worth contemplating with that image of the ark floating on the face of the water. Because if you look in the first chapter of creation, the water is where we begin, right? Darkness, water, the God's spirit on the face of the deep, and then gradually but almost inexorably, order emerges. And what's the end of that order at the end of the first chapter of creation? What's standing there? The Sabbath? Humanity. Well, okay. 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 Oh, Shabbat. Okay, sorry, Fair sorry. enough. You're okay. a Jew. Right? No, but, but meaning humanity with literally like a foot on the land saying, Vikivshuha, right? right. We, will, we will conquer it and we will rule over it. And, right. and there's a lot of people who live in that story of creation, the sense of mastery and dominance. Nature exists under us and that the chaos with which it began has been pushed far out of sight. The water is underneath, right? What happens in the story of Noah? Suddenly... It reverses. The waters come up from below. They come down from above. Everything gets swept away, and all that order gets reduced into a chip floating on the face of that chaos. Right. And it's a reminder. It's a reminder to that what holds that order in place is not humanity's power to rule over it, but rather is humanity's ability to align with the will of God. And that's exactly what God said. Oh, like they, they deviated from the plan and began to undermine my, my creation. Well, I'll show you that the chaos is always there waiting for you. Right. Worth thinking about. Yeah, we're, we're thinking about uh, in, in chaotic, um, uh, psychologically chaotic times right now. We don't live, we live in a world quite, well, well, here's an interesting thing. Last week's Torah portion talks about Noah, that he's going to help us get rid of the curse of the earth. He did. Right. He was the John Deere of the Bible. Right. You look in the, you look in the Rashi and he says he brought, simple word, technology yep. in order to master the land. 
Well, that's what John Deere did. It was the self-cleaning right. plow. That's what I'm saying. You're absolutely right. That 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 technology and Israel today being a technological leader is no doubt helping gain, gain us mastery over nature more than ever before. We have For mastery sure. over over nature and over health and food, etc. Just not ourselves, of, right? But psychologically, there is definitely a a tumult out there. You know, the parallel is that what Noah brought them was the problem of abundance. You know, that when the earth was mozi kotz it brought out thorns and thistles, and there was a sense of dissipation, and I'm going to labor so hard, and only, I don't know, 10% will be edible. It's like, okay, well, let's find other things to do. Suddenly, every seed I drop grows, and the wealth is accumulating. It's like more, 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 more. And there's a particular psychological barrier that exists with abundance as opposed to adversity. And I really see that as a, a big challenge in our society today. No doubt, no doubt. That is a big, that is a big challenge. And to your other point about the waters uh, kind of coming up from the ground and, and destroying everything, and, and <clears throat> they, the waters stopped having borders as a reaction to humanity and, and the animals stopping to have borders. Didn't you know that I wanted you to procreate amongst your kind, species. your species? Didn't you know that I didn't want you to steal from one another, be violent to one another? Oh, you've lost all those social borders. You've lost borders of kindness, of goodness between one another. You didn't give space to the other, etc. Started becoming violent. Okay, the water says you don't have borders. I don't have borders. Yes. And we had another great. Uh, 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 there's another great Jewish story about wa- waters and borders, and that is that one of the reasons the sea split is because Joseph's bones were brought to the uh, edge of the water, and the water said. You overcame your nature. You didn't succumb to Mrs. Potiphar's uh, advances. So too, I shall overcome my nature and recede in an unnatural way. So the water is reaction. It, re- it reacts to humanity's uh, borders and, and, and morality. So that raises a really interesting question to me. Because I think it's often presented this sort of like a, the, the moral element of the story, which we should name in the, in the words of our sages, the midah kenege midah, this idea that, that God is always responsive in, in punishment and correction to specifically the way in which we have corrupted his will, right? It's often presented as, well, humanity and, and the animals, that was just, it was natural for them to stick to their own kind. They did something unnatural, and then God sent this sort of unnatural flood. But what you're adding is a different twist with the, with the sea and Yosef, which is, frankly, it's quite natural for people to pursue whatever desire they have, right? What's unnatural is to have some sense of discipline and vision, which is granted to us by God or from inner moral conscience, and to overcome that nature in order to become more than we are sort of naturally assigned to be. And that it might just be that that was the opportunity. That's why Noach Tzadikaya Bedorotov, he was the one who was righteous in his generation. He wasn't a normal guy. Normal guys were doing what they were doing. And, and frankly, in the ancient world, they did all kinds of stuff. You can just look at the Torah and see. Noach was that element of humanity that was able to step beyond that and rise to a higher call and overcome restraint, his, his nature. Yeah. Restraint from, from uh, every whim. Um, speaking of, of uh, whims, there's a, there's a verse that says uh, that the land, now the earth had become corrupt before God. This is Genesis, Bereshit, Torah portion, Noah, chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth had become corrupt before God and the earth had become filled with the tr- there's no translation here, but Hamas. <laughs> Hamas. It's just too good. 
Hamas is, uh, Hamas is, what does it really mean in Hebrew? Well, it means a few different things, uh, but it generally means a kind of violence. Mm-hmm. It could be a theft or like mugging, that type of violence, like a violent crime. The technical language is usually, you don't want to sell me this recorder. I force money in your hands and take it anyway. Right. So it's, it's on the border between theft and violence. Okay. There's also some uh, explanations that I've, uh, that I've read uh, that are of, of sexual kind of violence. Okay. Mm-hmm. But in any case, whatever it is, which is the same exact thing, basically. It's yes. like taking something it's that's... It's a taking. It's a taking. Right. Okay, so the land became filled with Hamas. Now, it says that the land became filled with Hamas. The land itself became filled with Hamas. And there's another verse, the Balaturim says, there's another verse in the Torah that sounds something like this, where it says, V'temaleh aretz otam. When the Jews were in Goshen, right. uh, the land was filled, filled with, with them. them. What does it mean, was filled with them? It means, he says, that the Medrash says that women would give birth under this edict to 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 kill the the male children, they would still give birth to six children at a time, and they would bury them in the ground, and then Ooh. the earth would raise them, and they would grow like cabbage patch kids. Okay, <laughs> they would grow, and 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 the earth would raise them, and then they would kind of come out and be alive, and and be raised in the in the soil, so that the land itself was was caring for these children. Okay, mm. but it says in here the opposite is that the land was filled with Hamas, and it gives an example. He says, look, uh, what what would happen is. One man would, would say to his friend, hey, can you hold this precious object for me? I'm going on a trip. And he would give him his wallet and some parsimon oil. And he would hand it over to his friend. And the friend would say, sure, no problem. Then the, at nighttime, that first guy would follow the scent into the underground cellars or in, and safes of this person who he asked to hold on to his objects, and he would rob him of all his precious possessions. Therefore, that the land itself was filled with Hamas. Now, the reason I say this is because when I say the word Hamas, we all think Hamas, those guys in Gaza, right? Well, that's exactly right. If you were ever in the Gaza Strip beforehand, you know that it's exactly the tension between the land was filled with them, the Jewish people, which if you were there, you knew that the land was just embracing the Jewish people there. And they were growing cherry tomatoes and flowers and beautiful houses. And the children were au naturel. They were just perfect. It was just like, it was just so, it was the Garden of Eden, right? Take the Jews out of there, replace it. The place became filled with Hamas and specifically the land itself, the The underground tunnels was filled with Hamas. And by the way, those Hamas, that cancer of Hamas is striking at us mercilessly with these do you know I saw a video of the smoke that they burn on the other side just to poison the air across the 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 border for those communities C- kids are suffering asthma kids now, are the suffering whole, listen the whole situation is 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 mushat. there's no other word for right. it right from, from from the beginning to end and Oh, what to do about it? I'm not sure. I will say though, in praise of those Jews, I was over the Sukkot holiday in in uh, Nitzan, one of the places where a good chunk of the Jews of Gaza resettled, and they have rebuilt once again just a shining, sure. shining community there. Oh, they have it. But the, the point is, is that we gave up that land, and this is this is where places and it didn't like lay Pardes, empty, right? But places like Pardis, it's not always understanding that there is a value to land, land, and holding on to land. Sure. Uh, and and it's, so that ba- basically, I'm trying to make the equation. It's either Tamalah Aretz Otam or Tamalah Aretz Hamas. Those are the options. Okay, let's let's keep going. Okay, let's talk about something a little bit more positive, and that is uh, two by two, two by two. They came into the ark. They came into the ark, and and the Torah even says Ish veIshto. Yeah, it's an interesting. What is that use. like? What the the cow, the 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 bull and the cow were were the husband and wife. I mean, 
But there's something talking about the Ark, and I'm sensitive to this because I work with another Ark, which is the Tomb of the Fathers and Mothers, a kind mm-hmm. of Ark through the centuries sure. of two by two. Yes. Of Ishva Ishto. Uh, so what is, you know, and, and, and I have to say that I learned the Torah from uh, Morgan Friedman. Friedman? Yeah. Friedman? Friedman? Morgan, you know. The guy who played God in, uh, what was the name movie? In, oh, in, help me uh, out, in Almighty. Evan, Evan Almighty. Evan Almighty, that's right. it. Is. And he says, that, that he says, comes up with us every year. I love that movie. I love <laughs> that movie, and I recommend it to everybody to watch it. Evan Almighty, absolutely recommend it. And in fact, I will we'll watch it this week with the kids. Evan Almighty, he says, the Noah story is not about God destroying the world. It's about families coming in together, two by two. It's about love. So I wanted to ask you about this tension between a world being wrecked and, I mean, love. What are we talking about here? And on the other hand, this like arc of... This love boat. Well, you know the the language. Can I call of, the show the love boat? Would call, that be right? You can call the show the love boat. I, I was you, thinking about calling I, it the deluge refuge. Too too sophisticated. Call it the love boat. People <laughs> like it. <laughs> you can give me Captain. What was his name? I don't um, remember. No, I don't there. remember. All right. So what I was going to say is that 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 phrase ishvish don't right um, man and wife or woman and and you know husband and wife. How are you say it? I don't know, translate it exactly. Um, at this point in the story of creation is reaching back to the previous usage, which is the, the renewed or sort of um, new model of relationship which emerges once Adam and Eve split and recombine, right? And, and, and the Torah says, Al-Ken Yazov, each aviv that's why a man will abandon his mother and father, but and he'll cleave to his wife and they become one flesh. Because there's competing models here. And that's precisely what happens. There's the model of hashchata, of, of, of destruction, of corruption, of the breaking of boundaries, of what basically amounts to a self-serving worldview, which is what is happening here. I don't care that you own that wallet. I want it. I'll take it for myself. I don't care that that is your spouse. I want her. I'll take it for myself, or etc. right? The other model that's being offered is a cleaving. No, no one knows how to, to cling to God in the face of his whole society in the world. These are the animals who, know how, who knew how to cleave to each other in a procreative vision, right? Because that's the, you, know, you want to call it the love boat, we could call it also the, sort of the, the procreation vessel, right? Although, they, although, although it is important to note that during the flood, they did not procreate, well, that's at, be- at least many, according to many sources. Yeah, true. And, and I think that's just out of bare respect, meaning, meaning when disaster is striking the world, it shouldn't be life as normal. By the way, I want to say to you something. This uh, uh, last, uh, I think it was Sunday, sun, sun, Sunday morning, um, there, was a, there was, a, or was it Monday morning, there was a heinous murder here in Israel yes. of two young Jews and uh, and um, somebody made a poster of the Jews that had been murdered over the last year. It was quite a long poster of a lot of young people also. And, uh, you know, it's just, I, I notice in the WhatsApp groups uh, that people just want to keep talking about their thing. And I myself, you know, at the late afternoon wanted to put on some music or something, and I stopped myself. And I'm like, no. For, uh, not until the burial of these two people, I will not listen to music. I will not, like... Be 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 jovial and and I and I and I and and I like angrily. I didn't write anything on WhatsApp, but I I find it agitating that people continue with their merry merriment until you know. Uh, for God's sakes, like take a break. Like like this is a horrendous thing that happens. I, I, and one of the things that I really feel is a is a mega challenge of the uh, 
left-dominated mental set that we have today is that we are not allowed to be enraged. And so because we're not allowed to be enraged, we, don't, we, we have no outlet for those feelings, so we go to, to bourgeois, to, to, to all, is, all is fine, you know, because we don't, we, there's no expression. There is absolutely no normal expression for, for, for outrage or rage. Uh, and and or but but I, and I find it agitating that people because of that people uh, find it easier and I I mean it's understandable and I forgive them but I just it angers me that that people kind of let it slide. And there's another outlet which is interesting to me that it's been cut off and that would be mourning. And, and see, I, th- I don't see. I'm, that doesn't. That doesn't. Work I know for it doesn't. Me. Speak it to doesn't you. work to me. I know it doesn't. Speak how, to how, how many I times, am I, supposed, how many times you, am I supposed to mourn? Wow. Well, ah, so that's precisely why I said it. And and the the sadness to me is is that it's it's not clear well, to me. Well, how can I mourn? I can mourn when somebody dies in a car accident. How can I mourn when I feel when somebody violently murdered somebody? Well, first of all, because you can mourning. still mourn their death. People say to me, "It's very sad." It's, it's not it, sad. Yes, the word it sad is, is not the right word. Sad and anger don't contradict. And what's interesting to me is that you were speaking about a particular mentality in our country which doesn't allow for rage. So there's another particular mentality in our country which doesn't allow for mourning. And it's an interesting combination between the empowerment of rage that you're desiring. Because the, the primary difference, I can tell you this as a counselor, for people who struggle between anger and sadness, most people will choose anger because it's an empowering experience. Sadness is disempowering for most people. And furthermore, we as a people... Like, we, we can't handle it anymore. You're going to open that door of mourning, everything we've lost. It, it's like the flood. There's, there, there, is a, there is a darkness which underlies the last 100 years of our history, forgetting the 1,900 years that lie before that, but just the last 100 years. That if I open that door of mourning and actually allow myself to cry over the pain and suffering and death, there's the endless of ourselves. There's no uh-huh. end. Uh-huh. And so, therefore, well, but my point is, is that but it's still there. I can tell you. As, as, a, as a human being, as a teacher, as a spiritual counselor, that if you do not mourn that which you have lost, it will live on in well, very ill health within you. I, I want to turn it to our listeners. Where are you at? Are you at, do you think that you're like, do you think that an emotion that is not being um, expressed. Uh, expressed in you that you feel frustration when you hear these things, is it, is it the mourning? Uh, element or is it the rage anger element like what do you feel is bottled up inside of you in these kind of situations i will only add that there's it's not either or no it's not either or but but okay fine that's uh, or option number three not either or that's fine um i mean i will add that 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 we add when somebody's murdered we add a different epithet yes to their name yes right we actually and this is an important thing in judaism people may not know that we have when somebody is passed away if they are passed away from natural uh, or whatever, you know, regular uh, uh, reasons, causes. causes. So we say, we say, Zichrono levracha, may his memory be a blessing. If it's a righteous person, Zechert tzadik levracha, may a righteous person be remembered for, for blessing. But when a person is murdered in a violent crime or a violent terrorism, etc., war, we say, well, we don't say it in war, interesting. We don't say it in war. We don't say H. Hashem, we say, when somebody's murdered, we say, Hashem inkom damo, may God avenge his blood. When we talk about warfare, there's something different, and that's an interesting discussion that I don't know if we have the place for it today, but there's a difference between out-and-out warfare, which is, a, I guess, a mutual understanding that it's time to fight. (laughs) Well, listen, this this goes to the heart of our problem, is that, as we've spoken about before, in my eyes, the biggest problem in our current social situation is that we're not willing to accept the fact that we're at war, 
Right. We'd rather it be a normal, like you said, everybody wants to live their normal life. And then when these things happen, they threaten to disrupt that fabric, the illusory fabric of normal life. So we suppress it. And, and, and I think actually the outlets which are given for, for rage are just as distracting as the sort of um, media buzz desire to sink back into our daily pleasures. And I really think that, a, that a, a deep level of mourning would force us to wake up far more to the situation that we're in. I, um, I, I respectfully disagree. We'll, 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 we'll leave it we at that. We can fight about it later. No, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Here's, here's another. We're going from negative to positive here. Here's a good one. Uh, it says, and those who came came male and female of all flesh and God, as God had commanded him and Hashem sealed the lid on his behalf. The word sealed, it's reminiscent of how God created woman that v'yizgor basar tachtena and here it says v'yizgor Hashem ba'ado that Hashem like closed it up. He closed up the ark and he kind of made, you know, this this thing watertight and it's time for it to go. But what, what what's interesting to me more here is the word v'habaim that they came. Listen to this. This is for you. I have two bio terms for you today. This one, <laughs> this one's for you. It says, it says, I'll read in the English. Uh, the Masoretic note two, bet, means that this word appears twice in the Torah. Here, v'habayim, zachar, and kavad, those who came, male and female, and then v'habayim, those who came in Nehemia, regarding Zerubavel. The Talmud states that the animals came to Noah on their own volition. The similarity of expression here and in Nehemia supports the Talmudic opinion that the people who returned to Zion with Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel did so willingly. Okay? Just an interesting thing. Like, they came because they heard. Like, well, which animals came? There were many animals who didn't come. Which ones? They heard the call. Or right. they deserved to hear the call. Right. Right? And, and the same thing with those who came back to Zion. Most people were, were, were doing you know, great as doctors and lawyers out in, uh, in Bavel. Yep. But somebody heard the call and they came of their own volition. I think this is a general principle in the Torah. You know, Sfas Amos says the same thing about Avraham and Lech Lecha. That when, when God said to Avraham, come, you know, go and uh, to the land, Sfas Amos says, well, the truth is Lech Lecha, that call is coming out from God at all times and all places to all people. The, the greatness of Avraham was that he heard it. Right. And I think that that's a general principle. There are messages being broadcast all the time right now. Right. Who's listening? That's I mean, look right. where we are. And look at where most of the people that we grew up with are. And uh, I don't know about your peers, but mine aren't here. And that doesn't mean they're not good people. Of course not. No, many of them are very good people doing very good things. But they, they didn't hear that there's a new chapter in the story starting. Right. And, and I wonder in another hundred years where their children and my children will be. Very good, very interesting. Uh, and, and this is something that, uh, you know, I think uh, maybe it was my daughter a long time ago said to me something like, or, I don't know, it was, maybe it was Arya Brahma. And she said, can you hear the Chinese? I'm like, what? Can, he says, can you hear the Chinese right now? I'm like, no. He's like, in this room, there's shortwave coming from China, but you just don't have the machine to pick it up. Chinese is being spoken right now in this room. Okay, he's <laughs> like the same thing with God. He's broadcasting. Do you hear him? 24-7. Okay, and here's the other balaturim for you. So I'll, I'll get to it in a second, which is that, okay, the ship is, is uh, the, the ark is uh, on top of the world, on top of a destroyed world below them. And the Torah does a lot to talk about how many days it all happened. Interestingly, the whole episode, basically from liftoff to landing, is about 365 days. More or less, yeah. Okay? And, and... 
but there's different chronologies. It gives us dates. In any case, it's complex. You try to get into Rashi in these parts. It's it's <laughs> tricky. Yeah, it lands in the end. The Ark lands on the mountain range of Ararat, which is found today in Turkey, uh, which is right across from uh, Armenia. Armenia, of course, claims Ararat as their own. I'll never forget that 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 Armenia had a whole. Uh, uh, campaign to bring people. They said it was something like Noah's way, your way. Okay, F- like Noah like came that? to Ararat. I like that very much. I was very moved by that. They had one stinking line in the whole Torah, and they are like, <laughs> "Let's use." We're going to build on that. Yeah, and it's not even the Ararat range is today not in Armenia. It's in unless Turkey. Unless you ask an Armenian. That's right. Unless you ask an Armenian. Okay. Uh, in any case, uh, so so then famously Noah is going to send the uh, raven mm-hmm. out. And the raven maybe circles the boat, comes back, and basically fails in his mission. He doesn't trust Noah. He, he does. What, what, what is your take on that, the raven here? What is he taking the raven? Um, I mean, it depends on when we want to take this sort of as a, as a literal act or as a symbolic act. I mean, the raven's a tough bird. Right. They're a survivor. If there's any way to live off the ark, it's the raven that's going to be able to do it. And so it's a natural choice for Noah. But what's fascinating to me is our sages fit the raven into multiple narratives. You know, first of all, they say, why did he circle and not come back? Because he didn't trust Noah. He thought Noah had designs on his wife. That just takes some contemplation. <laughs> like, what? I'm sorry, Rabbi. But what that, What do you mean? But that goes back to the Garden of Eden. Like, the boss wants to mess you up. It, 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 it speaks very deeply on, on so many levels. And I think that that's a good one. I don't want to go there. The other one is that the Raven had another job to do, which is much further forward oh, here in, we go. in time, which is to bring meat and bread to Elijah the prophet while he was in hiding during the drought. Perfect. I, I'm so glad you said it. Let's read the verse. He sent forth the Raven and it went forth, going and returning until waters dried from upon the earth. Okay, let's read in Hebrew. Vayetze yatsov ashov. He went back and forth. Ad yeboshet hamayim me'al ha'aretz. Okay, until the waters dried from the land. Says the Balaturim, yeboshet. I'll read it in English, hold on. The gematria of the word, when spelled in full, is equal to nachal krit, the cherith brook. The raven was reassured. When the Holy One blessed as he said to him, you are destined to serve a different divine mission during the days of Elijah the prophet. Check this out. Another allusion to Elijah is found in this word. For the letters of the word yaboshet, dried, dried land, can be rearranged, rearranged to spell tishbi. Oh. <laughs> A term to use to describe Elijah, okay? So, so I love these little things because, because the, the Torah also gives us a lot of hope. It says, it's not for now, but for later, okay? There's a little, like, it's a cameo. What did Tolstoy say, you know, like if, or whoever was that, like, if, 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 uh, it's if Chekhov. You, if the gun shows the up gun, in the first right. act, it's going to go off before the third. Right. Okay. It's just, listen, it's, like, it's, it's also, by the way, a, uh, a heads up for people out there who haven't been trained in the classic Jewish approach to how do you learn the Torah. It appears to be a linear narrative. You start at the beginning, go through the middle, get to the end. But you should understand that, that it's all connected. And the fact that this raven here is going to reappear in the Book of Kings with Elijah in a very important story is not just some strange rabbinic fascination with making associations. It it is a message to us that there's some theme that connects those two incidents and pushing us to learn on a deeper level. And I do want to make a plug that that raven is on on the cover of Book 2. Key of Rain, the Age Prophecy series is moving key, forward. Wait, slow it down. The key book of is rain. called The Key of Rain. Right. It's book two of the Age of Prophecy series. And that whole episode with Elijah and the Ravens plays a central role in the gripping narrative. 
Absolutely. And I'm, uh, I'm very And we haven't put it up on Amazon yet because we have a whole plan. But if you want, you can be in touch with me directly and I can get you a copy. I'm very excited about that. And I wanted you to plug it indeed here. I mean, the Torah plugs it. So I, so I thought yes. we should plug it as Why well. Why not? Okay. Very good. Okay. Here. Have you read it yet? No pressure. The second. I didn't get the second book. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Oh, you guys forgot to get a copy. I didn't get my copy yet. So oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, well, before I'm, you leave. All right, I'm on it. I'm, I'm excited. I'm absolutely. I read the first book cover to cover, and I really loved it. I really loved it. In general, in general, I I uh, love uh, Judaica and also Jewish movies, Jewish theme movies, and Jewish theme books that that really relate the past to us. Not just learning books, but books of you know storyline. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, oh, I forgot to say one thing, which is uh, which is when God create, uh, commanded Noah to make the ark, he also told him to make a tzohar, a window. And to me, this is a very important thing, which I think you could use this as a short vartora if you're in shul or at the table, which is the Rashi tells us it's two options, really. It's two options. Either it's a window, it's a window, or it's an internal gem stone that was inside that was like phosph- shining phosphorus or radioactive it was an energy source no ra- there are radioactive stones sure, uh, right, they, yeah, you know the, it's hey, a, stone. I have a degree in geology that's right but so it's a stone that basically emits, emits light emits light slash heat slash energy yeah slash keeps it alive inside as you know it, it keeps it Hashtag going cool <laughs> yeah so 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 to me this is a, a very important thing which is both are true a person's got to look out into the world and see where things are and, and measure himself vis-a-vis other people to some extent and understand where things are and look at the world and not be some kind of hermit. But at the same time, a human being has to have his inter- internal energy source. He has to know where, what he wants inside. He's got to have, a, as Jeremy Campello always says, a lev shomea, like a, a, a hearing heart, to know where, where you're supposed to go. So you're supposed to hear and, and follow an internal, uh, internal you know source of navigation but also look out to the world both are both are true and when you Absolutely. can't find something inside the you know the world to direct you listen inside if you can't find something inside look around you know but you have to have both of those options as, as, as tools for survival and navigation uh, in any case um, here's the big one for you they come out of the ark and it turns out that it's now uh, First thing, you have to kick out some of the animals or take them out or reanimate them. <laughs> they're, they're not so eager to get out there one right. more time. Right. They're, maybe the world is scary. Or uh, maybe, yeah. Or maybe, or maybe I think to me it's more like reanimate them. They've become inanimate. I mean, we could go both, but the world is certainly scary. I mean, look what happens to Noah himself. I don't know if you want to talk about that later, but after this great salvation being chosen as the righteous one to you know save the planet... The first thing he does after the sacrifices is plant a vineyard, makes wine, get good and stinking drunk. Right. Like, it, and, and I want to think about that. Maybe not right yet, but we need to think about why is that Noah's response? Must have been Simchastor, <laughs> not Michael. <laughs> At least not to after you, Musa. You know, you know, you know. My daughter right now, God bless her, she's about to turn eleven uh, this Shabbat, Ooh. and uh, you know, she. I remember. Th- when I was younger, that when Shabbos would go out, I would be a scared and certainly sad. It would be a hard feeling. Today, when you get a little bit older, it's okay. The transition is a little less um, emotionally. You yeah, know. although I'm so happy it's turning winter now that I can actually drag Shabbos out another hour or two without Fine. my teenage children throwing things at me. Fine, but the point is, is that it's the same thing. Like, like. You, when you're in the Sabbath, coming out of the Sabbath is it's a scary. hard transition. And, and when you're in the desert, coming into the land of Israel is scary. So here, God says, um, um, no you would think... The no end, more safe spaces. Right. But, but you, 
Heitze, excuse me, Heitze. It's a weird word, yeah. Right, it's like it's like it's written Heitze. Right, it's written Heitze, but it's Heitze. Like get them out, like push them out, wake them up, and that's what happens sometimes. Same thing with with maybe maybe one of the things of the Holocaust is that is that it was a horrific push out of Europe and out of that life. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm working on right now. When we're done, I'm going to record my first of two or maybe three. I haven't decided episodes on the show. It's just. It's just incomprehensible. How do you speak about the incomprehensible? I don't know. I, I am I am more and more interested in the Shoah, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to your episodes on it. I would only add to you that if you ask me what I'd be interested in, I'd also like to get an overview on the war. Meaning to say, yeah, not I just gave, the. I'd I, like I to get an give understanding. Some pieces of how the rhythm of the war fit into right. the final solution. Yeah, that's what this episode is about. Yeah, I'm interested in the war. I'm interested yeah. in, and I've, you know, and I'm. Uh, it's become interesting to me. And interestingly, uh, speaking of Jewish movies, I did see. Uh, I forgot the name of it now, um, but Netflix just put out a uh, film. You mentioned this documentary series. No, right? I finished that. Now they put out a new film on the capturing of Eichmann. Uh huh. Very interesting. It was an okay movie. I give it a B. It wasn't. It wasn't a B plus. It was a B uh-huh. uh, because it was a little. The characters were a little stilted and this and that. But interestingly enough, uh, the great Jewish fighter, the great Jewish bull, uh, Alan Dershowitz, uh, who you know a bull can 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 go both ways. Yeah, he's just <laughs> a, he can be in a china shop or you right. can put him as a mat- with right. a matador. Right? Now, now I I really like Alan Dershowitz and I really think that he's a great Jew. I really do. I think that he's wrong at least fifty percent of the time. I really uh-huh. do. But I like him. I like him because he's got a Jewish spirit and he's a fighter par excellence. For sure he's a fighter. And, and I just, I think that he's a good thing in this world. And, I, and even though I, I'm telling you he's wrong, wronger than wrong about the two-state solution, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. He's, he has a lot of mistakes that he makes. But I, I like his character in this world and I, I oh, good, good that we have that. There's a few yeah. people like that in the Jewish world that I'm just like, oh. You know, another example of that is Jonathan Sachs. You know, it's like it's like I'm not. You know, I to Probably me, Lord Doctor, talking about Lord Doctor Jonathan Sachs. Yeah, he's the exilarch. Okay, he's the Rachelusa, <laughs> and and that to me is kind of funny. But at the same time, like, ah, look at this, look at this, yeah. look at this mind. Another person like that. See, I, I love to, to think about the great people. Another person like that is Rabbi uh, Benny Lau, Rabbi Doctor Benny Lau. I was at a wedding that he performed the other night. He How speaks was that? so well. Oh my god. Oh my God! He's open such his a, mouth. It's solid gold. Everything, every, right? But it's sechel. But it's sechel yeah, gold. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. like gold because he like gets you emotionally. He's just his just, mind is yeah. beautiful. Yeah, yeah, he's got a beautiful mind. Anyway, how did I get to this? Oh, oh, so so Dersh, the Dersh, and and I'm allowed to call him Dersh, you know. So Dersh says he wrote an article, uh, and it was translated also into Hebrew. And the article basically said this movie Netflix put out is not a perfect movie, and it's a Hollywoodization, all that, but it's better than Hannah Arendt's. Horrible book the called Benality The Banality of, of Evil, Evil, where he she makes Eichmann into this like cod, bureaucrat, bureaucrat, yeah, and 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 the movie no, it shows who he really was and what he really did and this culpability yeah, and the right of the Jewish on, people on how she could say such a thing and whether she really knew him as a person, meaning the evidence yeah. of what he had done is incontrovertible. Right. And she and, and, and Dersh goes into that and he says she wasn't at the trials and she had a formulated opinion. And you had a great show talking about where her, her, uh, Hannah Arendt came from about the... Uh, the, Ber- the Frankfurt the, School. The Frankfurt School. That was, I really like that. I don't know why. I've, I have this fascination with these kind of like schools of thoughts and these people. Me too. By the way, the Frankfurt School's School of Thought is alive and well in America. Oh, now. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I want to listen to that episode again. Which episode was that? 
uh, interwar Jew, maybe 31. Okay, I'm going to try to get to that again because that was interesting to me. I was exactly... You uh, can send me an email. I'll shoot it back if you want. All right, good deal. All right. Uh, by the way, and your email is RavMike at thelandofisrael.com. Mine is Yishai at thelandofisrael.com. And thanks again to this great network that, that makes such wonderful shows happen. And, and if you appreciate it, write myself or Rabbi Mike an email. Also, go to our website, the, thelandofisrael.com. Throw in a donation. Be part of it. Uh, go into uh, Rav's Mic World uh, and, and, and donate. And I want to thank a good friend of ours uh, uh, for, for donating. And, and I got that coming. It went through the Kuma system, and it's coming to you ASAP right now. That's, that's Great. We'll talk about that later. I forgot to tell you about that. But our donors really make it happen. And Absolutely. We, we really appreciate it. And if you, if you appreciate what we do, we appreciate your help. By the way, big donations, great. Small donations, also great. And they also mean a lot. Actually, when I get a small donation, I think to myself, Wow, this person was able to give twenty five dollars. Like it must have been not even easy for them. Yes, and and they care, and I really appreciate and, those. And I'll add to that: if a person doesn't feel for whatever reason that they're not that that's even possible, share. If you if you love what you're hearing and you feel like for whatever reason now is not the time to give money, giving your time and energy to share it with someone who cares about you is also a great donation. That's right. That means posting it on your Facebook. That means also another thing, by the way, a very easy thing. Rate it highly on whatever podcast system you're listening to, like iTunes. Yep. Like, rate it highly. Write a little note. It's very important. It makes a big difference. It is. It is a real donation. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you very much for pointing that out. Let's talk about another very important thing, which back is... Back to the Torah. Back to the Torah, which is... Let's talk about a big topic for a second. We'll try... But let's keep it in a tight way, which is vegetarianism versus meat eating. Okay. Ooh. It turns out that after Noah comes out of the ark, he is given... License, permission to eat meat. Yes. It says it. Yes. And we know that in the garden, mankind was not allowed to eat meat. Mankind was meant to be vegetarian. Now, I heard a different take on this uh, than I've heard in the past, and that is that basically due to the fact that Noah did a favor for the animals by saving them, Right, they weren't going to build an ark for mankind. Mankind built an ark they didn't for have them. Thumbs. Right, they didn't have opposable thumbs. So Except for the so, raccoons. Right, and they but they didn't know how to really build because they don't have that kind of mind. So 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 therefore it was either one of two options: either given a uh, what there's a reward word for here. There's a, word, uh, there's a word I'm looking for. Okay, license. Yeah, it's like license, but anyway, uh, 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 given to him dispensation, oh. the dispensation to eat meat that he either didn't have that desire beforehand or he did have that desire but that was loosened my take was always was it Chabadnik that told you that no okay just uh, but my take was always my personal take which was before I learned this was like not because of gratitude was because basically God understood that mankind is violent and needs an outlet for violence and that violence is going to come through killing animals uh, and not through uh, and not through killing one another yeah, I mean, I want to sharpen that, but I should say for full disclosure that I've been a vegetarian for almost 25 years. Right. Uh, began before I had a real attachment to Torah, although it has become strengthened. And, and let me just clarify here. We're talking, do you eat eggs? So I, I, I don't eat anything with a face except on Shabbat. So I do eat eggs and dairy. On Shabbat, I've, I've left a space for fish for various reasons that we don't need to spend Did you time. say the word face? Yeah, I don't eat anything with a face. I don't eat anything with a face. Eggs don't have face. Cheese doesn't have a face. <laughs> that's, that's my type of vegetarianism. Um, it's not because it has a face. It's just no, an easy just way to categorize. No, it's very interesting. I, yeah. I'm just thinking about it. Yeah. And, 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 but, but you do eat some fish on Shabbat? On Shabbat, yes, because... Uh, for, well, we're going to get into two that reasons is, that why. That is very interesting. Um, so, but what I was going to say is that um, 
I think that the line of giving Noah permission to spill blood, and if you notice the area, the, the, the verses in which it's discussed, the focus is on blood, right? Um, it may just be because the level of hashkata, of, of corruption that the world had reached beforehand, was a level in which the distinction between human beings and animals had been lost, right? And there's no greater way to draw that line than to say, these you eat and those you don't. And it could be that there was a danger that, that literally that cannibalism, that the idea of feeding on the flesh of your brothers and sisters in a literal sense that was, was a real issue and that the way to, to finally teach humanity that you are not animals, which is a lot of what I see the progression happening here. You are not animals. You are something else. Notice that the description of being created in the image of God is repeated in this parsha, specifically in the context of the permission to, be, to give and eat, sorry, giving permission to eat meat and not to, to drink their blood, right? Um, but I, I agree with you 100%. If you look into Rav Cook's writings, which are phenomenal, and if people are interested in Rav Cook's writings in translation on vegetarianism, you can send me an email. I'll send you someone else's doctoral thesis. Amazing. Um, but if you look, it seems that a lot of the concern is indeed about, um, about the power of blood and that, and that need to spill blood. And I have a dream that, that the... the um, reawakening of the service in the temple, which our sages say that on Passover there was a river of blood that flowed out from Harabayat down through Jerusalem, that that service will be linked to the final resolution of human need to spill each other's blood. Right. So I very much agree with you. And, and I think it's the animal side of humanity which is being given proper outlet in the eating of meat. You know, I used to be a, a tad bothered by the Jewish uh, slaughtering um the, the way of Jewish slaughtering with this with this obsessive fascination about a sharp blade that so doesn't have him. that yeah that doesn't have one nick and I'm like I'm like this is madness don't tell me this causes a little bit more pain for the animal we're talking about nick of the nick okay but they're like crazy about these perfected no nick uh no nick knives. knives no nick knives uh so so hashtag no nick knives so uh, then I read a, I read a, a, a Rabbi Nachman explanation on it. He says, listen, the truth of the matter is there are souls trapped in these animals. And it has to be done with utmost precision and correctness in order to release the soul and to let it go into its, the proper place. And there's really much more at, at stake here than proteins that I need to eat, but actually a release of a soul and going into and go, letting it go to its proper place. And it has to be done by proper Jew in a proper way. And that's really the correct the correct uh, way to do it. And there's also, it's the kashrut world is a not simple world and and there's a lot of pressure on there to kill a lot of animals quickly. That's, people can't see me rolling my eyes and sighing, but I have deep, both moral and spiritual concerns about industrial, um, industrial shechita, industrial slaughter within the Jewish world. Right. And and, and, and there are today other options. Sure. Uh, of of a local shochet. Know your shochet, people. Know your if you're gonna know eat, your shochet. If you're going to eat meat, for most of Jewish history, lo alala dat. It would never occur to someone to eat meat from someone that they didn't know, mm. Mm. unless they were in a community in which that person held a, always a prominent position. I would like to. I'm not such a food minded person. I kind of eat what my wife gives me, uh, <laughs> and and I like I I sometimes feel like yes, that would be a that would take it to a different spiritual level to know the shochet, to, to consider the meat that we're eating and not to eat so much meat, eat it more on the Sabbath, that type well, of thing. Well, the challenge is economic. 
Yeah, it's economic, but it's also just also also a habit. Logistical, yeah, yeah it's ha- logistical ha- economic ha- habitual. For sure. All right, let's go to the next issue, which is okay, the rainbow. Now, this week I've been wearing. Today I'm not wearing it uh, because oh, I'm you're wearing the rainbow Lego. Watch. I'm not wearing wearing my rainbow Lego. You're in your professional outfit. Well, I wear actually my professional look, uh, the 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 Lego watch because it, it, as we said, it, it, it tames softens my, the settler see, image. That's right, soft <laughs> exactly, and uh, and you know. And and really maybe nobody maybe. who wears a Lego watch drinks the blood of children, <laughs> right? Exactly. And here it is. It's like a world that's been destroyed, and like everything, everybody's dead. You come out, the whole thing has been totally wiped out, and then God's like, "Ta-da!" What I mean is, everything is going to be nice, well, like this beautiful rainbow. Well, sort of. But the rainbow is a problematic image in right. in Jewish tradition. Is that weird? I uh, think it makes perfect sense. Yeah, let's hear it. Well, first of all, it's it's um. Let's remember that the rainbow. I think it's it's its essence and why it plays such an important role here is it's the only natural phenomenon I can think of which is dependent upon um, God, nature, and humanity. Meaning everything's dependent upon God. There has to be some ratzon abore, as we say, the will of God. But, but you know, it's amazing that in my neighborhood in Maledamim, which where you live for many years, you know the rainbows we get are second to none because That's of right. our positioning up against the range of Jerusalem Hills. And as, but, but you could be at the top of our neighborhood and see the rainbow and at the bottom of our neighborhood not. Because it's not just enough to have rain and sun and God's will. It depends on how you look at it. So there, there's something real and deeply subjective at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that that's the essence of its power. Because the rainbow is a symbol of what in the Torah? What's, what's God say? The covenant. Of? That I won't destroy the world again. And what's humanity meant to do? It's meant to... Ooh, covenant has two parts. Right. Not do bad things, but, but, but basically God says... You should remember. You have to remember that I that I made this covenant between you. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to bless it. Well, it, it, this bears a reflection, right? Because every other covenant we're familiar with, the covenant God makes with Abraham, the covenant of the Torah, it's relatively clear what both sides are meant to do. Well, this and, one is and, not and, so And much God's so. very active in this. It says like, when this thing is upon the land, I, it says it twice, I will remember. Yes. And I'll see it to remember that yes. God sees it. It's really for God to see. It is, which is, like, that's why I said it's so fascinating. It depends on how you look at it because this is, this is the anthropomorphization of God. It's like, God has to look at the world. You know, humanity hasn't changed fundamentally since the time of Noah. Let's just get that straight. We have a tendency to corrupt our way on a regular basis. Sure. What's happening here is God has decided to look at things in a different fashion, right? And and what exactly the rainbow represents, to me, is is, is far from clear. It's far from clear. And, and it's fascinating, as we've spoken about before, how it has become a symbol of, you know, particular things in our world today, which, which one might say are the exact opposite of what it was meant to represent in the time of Noah. Well, I think I think that that's not a coincidence. I think there's a brilliance at, at, at a foot. I have a little joke. It's a Russian-style joke, which is that the LGBTQ plus uh, 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 community sometimes says, oh, don't, don't do anything to us, God. Here's, here's our rainbow flag. Don't do it. You know, you remember what you did. Like, now we're allowed to do this, but you're not, you, you can't, you can't strike us down anymore because you right. made a promise. That's it's like interesting. A, it's like a, it's like I hide behind my shield. I hide behind my flag. Right. But bit. when in reality is, is that God is the one who's supposed to put the rainbow out there to remind God's self. Right. And, and, and you're supposed to, I think ostensibly supposed to be like, oh yeah, God destroyed the world. He, he said he won't do that again, but that's because we've been bad. Yeah. But I think that the rainbow represents a real tension, which is that, listen, a rainbow is something which is broken. Right, it's white light which is being broken into its components. Yes. But you can only see it if each one holds 
their line, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it's diversity, but it's also a clarity of of difference. Like there's so much in the image which can be evoked, right? If if you start mixing between the lines of the rainbow, you can't see it anymore. I am, by the way, I'm colorblind, so I see much less. Oh wow, a, I think a we've good about a this. good chunk less of what other people see. In terms of the rainbow, I see the rainbow, but it, to me, it's like three colors or something like that. It's like right. it's, it certainly doesn't have all these, you know, many, 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 many. So if you shades came to our house for the rainbow meal, uh, it wouldn't be so impressive, right? And you do a rainbow meal for um, for the Torah portion. Noach means different colors, foods, this and that. That's right. We uh, do it in the memory of a Pardes student here who was killed in the in the uh, Hebrew University bombing, two thousand two, because mm-hmm. she was a big devotee of the rainbow meal, and uh, both my wife and I knew her. And when she was a student, and so when she was killed, we decided that we would, in her memory and and for her her ilunishmata, that we would actually every year do this such a meal. Yeah, Marla Bennett. Marla Bennett. I remember that name absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know what? That's another thing that I try to do with these. And I, you know, there are people who are better than me for sure about this. But like, like at least you could do is try to memorize the name. Yeah. Of of a person who's been murdered, just just to, just at least look at that name. And I put, by the way, I went let to let them be real. Or let them. I put I put the the picture on Instagram. I looked around. Everybody else was putting up Instagram. That's where I got ticked off because everybody else was putting up their little pictures of of their. My advice is get off Instagram. Uh, yeah, but I but I no, but instead I instead I put in a, 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 a you know st- stuck in there like a picture of these murdered people, and and I also noticed that the likes were much less. Like people don't want to look; they look they away, but they want to look at the rainbow. And the Jewish law is not so clear about that. There's different opinions. Some people don't look at the rainbow. Other people say don't call over a person to look at the rainbow. Yep. And it says about uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that in his life there was no rainbow because God was didn't have that kind of anger. At the same time, obviously the big question is, but isn't rainbow a beautiful thing to look at? That, that, that is the essential problem that every normal person has. When you ever tell a person like, well, in Judaism, we have a kind of a, you know, a, a jaundiced look at the, at the rainbow. So, so people are like, what do you mean? It's like a thing you want to look at. Yeah, and the question is, is, is what, how are you looking at it? From what perspective? Is this a natural, uh, an expression of natural beauty? Or is it an expression of God's will of a, of a particular relationship that God desires with us? And we're just going to have to leave it hanging. What is it? that lies on Noah's side of that covenant. Right. What was it he was meant to do? Right. And in this, I, I would like to, unless you have another plan, just speak for a few minutes about how is it that Noah begins as Tzadik B'dortav, the righteous of his generation, merits to save himself and the entire planet in the ark, and ends up face down in the mud, too drunk to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like what, what, what is that? To, to me, it's very important because it shows us the big difference between Noah and Avraham. And I think it gives us some sense of guidance of uh, we as, as Jews, as human beings, as especially those who feel a devotion to God, whatever, whatever religion you may ascribe to, how we can walk in the world today is that when God said to Noah, I'm going to destroy the world, build an ark, what does Noah say? Okay. How big, right? right? What he doesn't say is, whoa, God. Like, what's going on? Like, you can't do that. Like, you created the whole world. Noah focuses on the symptom and not the cause. It's like, oh, people are, people are uh, acting bad. God's going to destroy the world. Oh, God's going to destroy the world. The problem, the solution is ark. Well, the problem is he gets out of the ark and the reality is humanity hasn't changed. As it says, right? Adam right? That, that man's inclination is evil from, his, from the get-go. And he himself 
carries with them yes. the bad traits of a destroyed society. And, and that's exactly my point. Is that Why is Avraham in the counterpoint when God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom? He stands up to God and says, you can't do that. It's not because Avraham is, is, is like uh, super righteous, which he is, but it's also because he's essentially human. He understands what happens to Sodom doesn't just happen to Sodom. What happens to Sodom happens to me because we're, we're part of a human project. And if God's saying, I'll do that to Sodom, that means there's something in me that has to change, right? And, and Noah was unable to grasp that in the moment. And so though afterwards, they, he just he ends up in despair because he realizes what difference does it make? I'm going to let these animals out. I'm going to let my kids go. They're all going to have kids, and they'll have kids. And it's, this is the, right, the inclination of man. It's evil from its birth. This is the sort of existentialist despair that so easily seeps into humanity. The solution to it is to actually stand up to God and say, we can do better than that, and I know you better than that. That's what you want us to do. You don't want to destroy the world. Another explanation that my wife gives is that he had a certain amount of PTSD. Yes. Like, like he's, but he himself is more like a victim character, meaning to say... He saw a world destroyed. He was a he was in isolation for a year. It was just. But surely a, you've seen the studies. Being a Bulgarian from the Hezer Yeshiva yourself, you're you know a graduate of the Hezer Yeshiva. You've seen the studies that people of faith, people who have some framework of meaning within which they can fit a traumatic experience, sure. far and away are able to overcome the the, the impact of traumatic experience. Right. In the same way, Noah lacked that. You think Abraham's life was easy? No. You think he didn't have a certain amount of you know, post-traumatic stress. Right. right. No, but he understood that everything comes from God and that he had the capacity to change it. And also, let's remember also Moses, who when God says, you know what? Speaking of bad people, this lot of yours, the Jews, they're a bad lot, destroy them. So Moses goes to him, no, exactly the opposite of no. He's like, destroy me. I don't want any part of your book. He takes Abraham one step further. Right. I love that line. I don't want yeah. any part of your book, okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. That's a lot of, that's a lot of, that is the ultimate chutzpah. That is the ultimate awesome chutzpah. But God loves him for that because he's, because he is not, he is, he is totally selfless. And that, exactly. And he realizes that this is not about me. Right. Okay. Uh, So, so we covered also the, uh, we, we touched on the um, Noah's. uh, Denouement. (laughs) His, his fall from grace. That's right. Um, now, the, the, the last three little parts here are really, A, the 70 nations are, are kind of born. We learn about really one of the world's first giant powers, which is Babylon, which is uh, Sumeria, which is, uh, uh, the, you know, these, the, this great kingdom, this, this great... Uh, these massive city-states. Massive city-states. Uh, and Nimrod is... What you call me? Nimrod. That's right. It's an interesting thing. And Nimrod is, is, a, uh, is this powerful man and he becomes a kind of enemy to abraham these are all very cryptic verses all hinted at if you didn't know you wouldn't know but really it's telling you about uh, the makeup of the world after reading all this i start to think to myself i would really like to go to baghdad and to babylon just to see it for myself being such a player in world history in ancient history babylon uh, the Mesopotamia, the land between the two rivers, Ur, these these places that have been dug up, it started becoming interesting to me. Like, whoa! Like, <clears throat> there's a lot of ink spilled on these on this place and oh, on yeah. this issue. Later on, it's going to be a big comeback. Babylon's going to destroy Jerusalem. There's a lot of there's a lot of similarity between these two things. Any case, uh, so Nimrod's out there, and it turns out that Nimrod also uh, is going to build 
is going to be the leader of this building project where the world is going to be unified over one one thought, one language, one one way of doing things, and they build this. They begin to build this Tower of Babel, and then there is this great verse that uh, that that. Oh, th- th- why do they build the Tower of Babel in order to not disperse, in order to have fame, in order to be uh, that their name not be forgotten, their name not be forgotten, and 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 there is a positive side to this whole thing is that these builders of the Tower of Babel have a certain amount of unity. That's their. That's why they don't get totally destroyed. God, we learned that because at least they had some kind of unity. At least they were together, even in sin. They th- there's a certain there's a certain beauty in that that God you know ap- appreciates. But what He's going to do, He's going to come down. Now, now I heard a great explanation uh, that why why does it have a verse that, uh, that 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 God had to come down and see the city. And this is Rabbi Eric Levy who said this thing, which was fabulous. He says, uh, Rabbi Eric Levy, I think he's from Atlanta. He said, listen to this. He said, why does it have a verse that says God came down? That God came down to see the tower and which man had built. Why does it say that? It could have been totally fine without that verse that, that uh, you know, let's build this tower. And then God says, the next verse after that says, God says, you know, th- this is dangerous because they're going to become... Uh, they're going to be able to subdue other people. They're going to be become a, basically a kind of uh, uh, authoritarian control center. Why does it say that God came down? It's a little, it's a little laugh or a little uh, poke at the efforts of these people to build a tower right. to come up to God. All the way to, to heaven. He's like, oh, I better go down there. I have to go down there because they're not even... Isn't that a good explanation? Yeah. I mean, there's echoes of this also, you know, in that, that line that you referenced there, right? Right now, if they accomplish this, then they'll be able to do whatever they want. You hear the echoes of why God kicked Adam out of Eden? Right? It's like, oh, he's going to reach out his hand to the tree of life and, and, and live forever. Um, there, there's something in the tension between being human and being God that 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 persists through all these stories. Is that you know, we humanity has this deep-seated notion that we're created by Elohim in the image of God, and we we often want to um, express that through mastery. And the greatest sense of mastery we have is over other human beings, right? Right. And in in this, what was their technological hop that that allowed them to build this tower? It's about the bricks. The bricks. Right. It says in a number of places, right? They figure out bricklaying. Bricklaying. Well, but you know that we just said Hallel, the, the Psalms of Praise this morning because of the Rosh Chodesh. And there's that one of my favorite lines is Evan Masu Abonim Pina. Right? The stone that the builders refused became the head cornerstone. And you know what the Midrash says? You know who that stone is? Abraham. Why? Because building with stones is very different than building with bricks. Building with bricks means you shape everything to your will. And you can put them one on top of each other. They're all the same. Building with stones, you have to actually look at what you got. Even if you're a stone cutter, it's totally different than cutting because the stones it's still its own medium. It's going to react how it will. But what you can build with it is fundamentally different. Abraham, of course, comes at the end of the story of Babel. He's not a brick. God can't just plop him out and, and make him do what he wants. And that's not what God wants. The, 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 the flaws, the bumps, the, the fractures, the hard places... That's why the builders of the world here at Bavel, they didn't want Abraham. They wanted people who would be obedient. But Abraham is what God wants because he wants to build a world that's based on the ability to work together but not through the mastery and domination of one another. 
It's a very important combination that it's Avraham that appears at the end of that section of our story. Right, absolutely correct. It's it's about it's about the opposite of of, of domination of others. It's about liberation, about serving God, and not also also God or their idolatrous idea that God is somehow dominating you instead of free will. Right, that's the challenge that people seek their own libera- liberation through rejecting God. That's the other end of the spectrum. So oh, with oh, we can talk about it when we get to Abraham next week. We shall get to Abraham this week next week, but right now we're going to get to Avram. Avram, we get to meet him. His father Terach is taking him um, to, they're heading towards, uh, they're heading towards the Holy Land. There's something there. They're heading towards the Holy Land, but they don't quite make it there, uh, and they get stuck. Uh, at, uh, they left Ur of Chaldeans, uh, the, the Ur Kazdim, and they went to, uh, that's, that's basically in, in the Mesopotamia, and then they head out northwesterly uh, towards Turkey, basically towards Haran on their way to, because that's the way you actually in the ancient world get to, you can't cross the great desert. It's too, it's too much of a desert. You have to go up next to the water of the, of the Tigris uh, and then head to t- Turkey and then, and then go back down south on the coast or, or even in the... Down just, through Syria, Lebanon. And right, and, 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 and basically a place that there's more water and they get stuck in Haran, okay? They get stuck in Haran and we, we meet... Uh, that we, we learn that there's an Ab- Avram, there's a Sarai, there's a Lot, the characters that are going to take us on uh, into where the Torah is going to switch gears and from being a very general world view and a global view, it's going to start focusing on one family. And that's, that's the rest of the Torah from here on end. Uh, yeah, with some, some sidelights. Right. But more or less, yeah, the narrative uh, hones in on the line of Avram. That's right, the line of Abraham. The line of Abraham. Okay, folks. Just ye- just yesterday, I was just standing in, in, in next to the tomb of the Martyr Machpelah, and I manned the new uh, our new uh, uh, information center there. And just like people were asking me, like, "Tell me about Abraham." You know, it just it was just like, "I will tell you nations about Abraham." It's amazing. <laughs> the twenty first century people coming from all over the world right. to say, "So tell me about Abraham." That's right. And I have a great video, very moving video of Vice President Mike Pence talking about Abraham. He's like, a man left Ur of Chaldeans. He had no, he commanded no armies. He spoke no prophecies. He gives his whole thing, but like, but to him, but he says, but to him, the majority of the world owes their allegiance as their forefather in faith. It was so moving. I tell you, I tell you, very, very moving. Very, very moving. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show here on the Land of Israel Network. I am joined by Rabbi Mike Four, who has another great uh, show on this network called The Jewish Story. Rabbi Mike can be reached at RevMike at thelandofisrael.com and check out his, um, his other podcast here and his new book called... The Key of Rain. The Key of Rain, okay? That's wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you also to the Pardis Institute that brings a lot of uh, young people who could easily uh, leave this path uh, and, and help them continue walking walk in the path of Abraham. We have many more great sponsors like our, the good folks at Hebron, and I want to say that if you have it in your heart to connect to Hebron on a, and, and, and want to do something. In, you know, people go in these like retreats, weekends, crazy things. All, you know, people go on cruises, things, who knows what. Folks, coming up in about four weeks or three and a half weeks is the most incredible weekend you'll ever have in your life. And that is Shabbat Chayesra in Hebron. And I, I highly recommend that if you are a person who wants to do something wild and amazing and connect to something and have a memorable experience of a lifetime, uh, go to hebronfund.org and sign up for our incredible VIP extravaganza of this one Shabbat where 35,000 people 
uh, descend like locusts onto a a, a a town whose infrastructure simply can barely carry this amount of people. And it's the most incredible feeling because you will get to read how Abraham himself purchased the plot in the land of Israel. And that's where you're going to hear that, that, that Torah portion right there in Hebron. So that's an awesome thing. We have other sponsors. I'll talk about it on the Malka half. Rabbi Mike, thanks so much for being with us today. Chodesh Tov and Shabbat Shalom. Chodesh Tov, Shabbat Shalom. God bless you folks. Stay tuned for Malka Fleischer. Stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected. Be part of the story wherever you are. We'll be right back. And Shalom. The mind of man is capable of anything, says Joseph Conrad, because everything is in it, all the past, as well as the future. Well, I wouldn't say that I'm capable of anything. But I would say that I'm filled with the past and longing to see the future. Because I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is The Jewish Story. Join Rav Mike Foyer for the best Jewish history podcast, The Jewish Story, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Shalom, everybody, and welcome back to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are, and shalom, and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Malka, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. You're right, and it's good to be back, and somebody that is that has been a part of our lives is leaving the scene, that is Nikki Haley, right? Nikki Haley, ambassador to the United Nations, a person who has been part of this kind of dream team uh, of folks that have been so supportive of Israel, if it's David Friedman... Uh, if it's John Bolton, not Michael Bolton, if it's Pompeo, uh, if it's the Kushner-Greenblatt team, a lot of folks that have been strongly pro-Israel. Nikki Haley's been a great star. She has defended Israel, uh, and, and, and I would say not just defended Israel in, in a kind of like says pro-Israel things. She has made it costly for the Palestinian Authority to continue their de- delegitimization campaign. She, she has helped promote the idea that, that the United States should leave UNESCO, leave, uh, defund UNRWA, uh, leave the Human Rights Commission, uh, and also punish any, uh, any, any not anti-Israel legislation at the UN by, by directly punishing those countries with, with defunding or anti-legislation, whatever it is. And now she's leaving the scene. Nobody really knows why, and that's okay. It doesn't seem like it's a bad thing. It's not okay, Isha. I'm crushed. Yeah, I'm a little crushed. I'm sad. I've been on Twitter, and I've been tweeting at Nikki. Nikki, don't go. She hasn't written back. <laughs> I miss you, Nikki. I love you. The thing about Nikki Haley, Yishai, is that she represents the policy of the United States of America. So right. it's not like she's the president who decides what the policy is. On the flip side, she she doesn't make it look like it's like what she's getting from above. You know what I mean? That the That Trump is telling her do X, and so she does X because that's her job. She really seems to put a, put her heart into it. She spoke at APAC this year. She spoke at APAC. I was there, I was there. I heard her. I want to tell you, the ambassador. Uh, he doesn't necessarily decide final the final decision on policy, but certainly helps uh, helps steer it. No question about it. And Nikki Haley has been a forceful voice. Absolutely, a forceful voice, and has been very very clear about it. And I think that the people of Israel and the Jewish people in general, because at APAC also, people just their hearts came out for this person who obviously stood up. And and here's the thing. And here's the thing, which is which is true about the Trump administration in general, it's true about Nikki Haley. There have been these giant lies that we have lived with. That Israel, for, for example, the lie that Israel somehow to be the country to uh, 
what's it called to like to 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 pick on and that it's the violator of human rights we know that that's not even remotely true but this uh this jihad run un right uh it is has has promulgated these lies and it's almost like we've all like been like all right that's the way it is at the un that's the way it is that's just the way it is comes along a nikki haley and and this i'm just gonna miss even saying nikki haley listen to how that sounds nikki haley yeah (laughs) that does sound you know i was thinking about that name myself i was thinking it's a very womany name right nikki haley both of them are kind of cute uh, girl names but at the same time and she is this you know you know a pleasant person at the same time, this 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 like this like strong woman type of person, but at the Haley same time, Haley is a comet. Isha. That's it's right. Haley is a comet and fiery. I remember Haley's comet. Did you ever see? Did you see that Haley's comet when it came in? I don't. I remember. I remember. I was a I kid. I don't remember that. I, was a I think kid. I missed that lifetime opportunity. Maybe does it come back? Yeah, every I think eighty six years. I think. Oh, gosh, what am I gonna do? You're gonna hold out. I gotta. I gotta eat a lot of fiber and keep you my cholesterol those, down. Yeah, you got those Hungarian genes. You know, you, <laughs> it'll be fine. Not, nothing touches you guys. Uh, any case, uh, yeah, no, she, she, I'm, all I'm trying to say is she really packed a wallop. That's all. And you know what? I've got a feeling that she's coming. She's going to oh, be, please don't leave us. Nikki Haley. She might be leaving this post, but, but, yeah, give but her a stay chance. around, do something else. She was a, yeah. <sighs> and she's still Nikki around Haley. and she's still around for, for another few months and we're expecting some more fun and fireworks from her. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, did you uh, know that she comes from a Sikh family, Shai? Did you know that her families are family are Sikhs? I remember her that came her out. Father wears a turban. I remember that came out when somebody called her like white privileged. She's, she's like, like uh, I'm an indigenous person. What I appreciate about that, aside from the fact that it's just awesome and that it just shows how cool America is because it's so multicultural, aside from that, it it's it's touching to me also because her family are also minorities. And so she can come to the cause of Israel in the international scene from a deeper understanding of what it's like to be like a peace-seeking minority in a large swath of land where where you're not so safe. And uh, I love you, Nikki Haley. I don't. I don't really like the the words peace-seeking so Israel much. Israel is a yes. Look, it is. Isha, I know that you've been burned by the word peace. Okay, but the point is that that. If you take a step back from your emotions about like the Israeli Arab thing, no, it's unquestionably true. The Jewish are people are a are a are peace seeking, peace loving. Yes, yes, we are, we are peace. That's what peace I'm saying. Loving. Right, I agree with you. We're we're the kind of people who want it to be nice. We want stuff to be nice. We want it to be nice for us. We want it to be nice for other people. And yeah, we've been forced into a world in which we have to become experts at making military equipment and cybersecurity and all that stuff. I'm going to say but, something that is not going to sound nice to you, Malka, but I figured okay. this out yesterday. This Middle East, here's the formula. Subdue or be subdued. That's it. That's the way it works around here. You can like it and not like it. You could, you could totally not like it. I think it's totally fair to say, and it's too bad that it's that way. I think well, that's Well, maybe totally it fair. won't be like that forever. No, see, that's wrong, what you just said. That's it will wrong. be like that forever? That's what you have to think. I don't know. Yes, that's what you have to think, because the minute you start thinking it might not be that way forever, you get this glimmer that things can change, and then you get this whole like attitude of, like, we have to sue for peace, we have to seek peace. Forget I, it. I disagree. Forget In fact, it. I would say the opposite. I say if the Jewish people are not the kind of folks who can think of themselves as long-time subduers, I think if you say to the Jewish people, look, this is temporary. Go kick some bleep, and then it's going to be all good, and you're going to get to live under your fig tree like okay. you wanted. Okay, you're right. Go, 
Oh, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a beautiful thought there. But there's another problem which I've seen in the Israeli psychology, which is then they go, we're tired of fighting, we're tired but of war. But they haven't done the fighting yet. That's what I'm saying. That's my... They've see, done that's defensive what I'm fighting. Saying. These people who, who put on the tired thing, they don't want to hear from you that, that that's it, where our kids are going to have to be in war forever and this is your situation forever. What you got to tell them is, look, this is not forever. We just got to smash around put out our elbows, make our space. And then once we do that well and solve these things, see, we haven't done it yet. Okay, I hear what you're saying. Then we'll be able to stop doing you're saying, that. But from my experiences with audiences, okay, I see a lot of times that when people are like, but how long are we going to fight for? And when I say to them, that attitude is wrong. The attitude has to be, we will fight forever. We are willing to fight forever. Yes, and we'll train another generation, another generation of fighters. And that is what we have to do to survive in this region. And if we have to fight forever, then that's exactly what we're going to do. And not pine away for some, you know, uh, incredible moment that's going to come right around the corner. No, we got to survive here. We got to make it. It's a t- and it's a tough tread neighborhood. Tread water. And that's, no, we're not tread water. Fight the bad guys. Shoot them in the head. Be tough. Be rough. And that's the way you're going to make it. And that's just the reality of this region. And if you can't accept that, because the whole peace narrative is like just around the corner, we could make a peace with this Yasser Arafat and this other person, or we can give away the Sinai and everything will be so hunky-dory. Everything is going to be fine. That's not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is hunker down. Okay, you want to call tread water? I'll let you tread water. But I don't like tread water because it's like a sitting duck, you know? I'm saying like you got you to gotta be, you got to hunker down and this is, this is the defensive line and this is what we have to do and that's our neighborhood. And there's nothing to do about it. There's nothing to do about it. There's, but uh, there is what to do about it. No, no, here we have to crush the bad guys and, and our borders. We're going to have to be vigilant. We'll always have to be vigilant on our borders. But so I mean many countries are vigilant on It's just on an attitude. It's attitudinal. It's, like, it's not words. It's, it's, a, it's a psychology and an attitude. The attitude has to be we're here to fight to win and we're going to win and we're going to be on, the, on guard forever. And there's no part of us that is going... And I don't want the enemy to ever hear like, oh, see, they really actually want peace. And it's so if, obvious. But that's what. But that. But that's what. I don't think we should make it obvious. I think we should be like stern faced. And it's like with the Arabs, they're just like always like, oh yeah, I'm walking out of these negotiations. That's what they're always like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They always. They always double down and up the ante. That's what I'm saying. I'm like. I'm like. No. There's no peace. I'm not talking peace. There will never will be peace. I've seen this with Arabs many times. I've spoken to them many times. When I tell them this, I'm like, fine, let's go to war then. They're like, what? I'm like, there is no peace between us. You guys say this, we say this. We will fight you. Let's fight. And they're like, uh, uh not on the personal level. No, no, I mean, not, say not we're not going to have fisticuffs in this. No, I'm not talking about like uh, nation v nation, right? And so, and so that, that that is just. I think it's an important. You know, there's a lot of these little words that seem innocuous, but behind them psychologically lies a weakness. I'll give you another example. We cannot rule another people. We shouldn't rule another people. I always say to Israelis, "Why? Why do you say that?" They're like, "Uh, what do you what do you mean? Why? I mean, we shouldn't rule another people." I'm like, "All powers rule other peoples." Well, rule is a, is a rule, kind of control, word. subdue. That's exactly the point. Yes, there are peoples living underneath our sovereignty. They can be granted all kinds of amazing rights and live amazing lives, but they have to accept your sovereignty. Okay, that's what I mean by subdue. That's what or agree or acquiesce. But that, but by the way, acquiescing well, is a form of, of being subdued. If I if I go into America and I'm willing to be its citizen, I'm willing to follow its laws. I'm being subdued by that. 
if I do it voluntarily, that well, doesn't mean... Well, they're certainly trying to subdue us. Let's put it that way. Damn straight. They're certainly trying to subdue us. And they had a, another mini victory um, yesterday morning when the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, our friends, UNESCO, oh. decided to adopt a pair of decisions titled Occupied Palestine, which call the tombs of the patriarchs and matriarchs in Hebron and Rachel's tombs, so all of our ancestral tombs, to be integral parts of quote-unquote occupied Palestinian territory. Um, these decisions, and they had, they had another decision which also slammed Israel for, uh, you know, being horrible to Palestinians, basically. And the decisions were sponsored by Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Morocco. Egypt, by the way, what? Okay, Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Morocco, Qatar, Oman, and Sudan. Sudan, seriously, don't you have other things that you need to be focusing on? But anyway, Maka, I, I know that what you said about. I just want to parenthesis what you wrote said about Egypt. You're surprised because you think we have such a great relationship. I'm with mildly the CC. surprised. So let me tell you something. That is a country that the protocols of the elders of Zion is constantly republished. Is a country with with a tremendous, deep anti-Semitism. And I don't mean anti-Israelism. I mean a deep anti-Semitism. And, and Al-Sisi, okay, he's you know anti, anti-Muslim Brotherhood, anti-Jihad, but these folks are not our friends. They're not our friends. They may be allies at some points, fair-weather allies, but don't for one second like turn them into, uh, uh, you know, hey, what happened? Why, why did my, you know, my friend stick my knife in, a knife in my back? That's who they are. Go ahead. What else? Anyway, so they sponsored this thing, and obviously we say no, right? The tombs of the patriarchs and matriarchs, the tomb of Rachel, our mother. Um, they are not integral parts of uh, Palestinian anything. They are integral parts of the Jewish people's heritage and the land of Israel. But here's what's interesting, Yishai. Maybe maybe we should talk about it, or maybe you don't care about it. But so this is like a horrible decision, right? This is one of UNESCO's many horrible decisions. And this is what, one of the many reasons that Israel is going to be bowing out of UNESCO at the end of the year, along with the United States. But some Israeli officials are saying, no, this is actually a victory. When I read that, I was like, what? That's not possible. But here's what they said. They said that UNESCO wanted to pass this language as a resolution with voting and everything. But um, there is a new head of UNESCO, and her name is, let's see, where can I find her name? Audrey Azulai. So I'm like, Azulai, all kinds of bells went off in my head. I went to Wikipedia. I found out that she's Jewish from like a very, very left-leaning Jewish family in France. Um, she's taken over this body, and I'm not sure that she's necessarily pro-Israel, but she claims to want to depoliticize UNESCO a little bit, which actually really makes sense, given that the name of the organization is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, right? That's like what it's supposed to be about. So uh, apparently, uh, along with her, Jordan, Israel, and the Palestinian Authority, or whatever you want to call them, um, made some kind of deal that it's not going to be, this language is not going to be a resolution. Instead, it's going to be something called a decision, which is some kind of text that's like stuck into some other stuff and the countries that brought it up for a vote, like all just vote on it according to consensus. And that's what happens. That's what happened. Um, in the past, these kinds of 
quote unquote achievements have been celebrated by the international type officials of Israel who feel that it's a, um, I don't know, like some kind of better thing than a resolution against okay, Israel. Okay, can, can I, but nonetheless, UNESCO is going to, can can, can Israel's going to be withdrawing from can UNESCO. We, can we go on already? It's like, it's like, this is, this is, this is the most pathetic show of like, of, of a, of a battered wife syndrome state that a few officials who work at UNESCO are like, oh, now that it's been degraded, this decision to a to a subcategory status, that's actually a victory because we're not being, we're, they're not hitting, they're not actually shooting us, they're just hitting us over the head with a club. I mean, it's pathetic. And there's absolutely, I, I'm sorry, I see zero value in it whatsoever. And I know the people involved and I know why, why they're saying it. And basically, well, it's- just so you know, the, the Israeli ambassador to the UN, Danny Danone, says, here's his quote. He says, this is further evidence for anyone who did not understand why the United States and Israel withdrew from UNESCO that again proves that UNESCO is a body based on lies and biases and is deliberately acting against us. The state of Israel will not be a member of an organization that is trying to rewrite history and willing to be manipulated by our enemies. Okay. So don't overly worry, meaning to say like... Prime Minister Netanyahu is still withdrawing. Israel's ambassador to the United Nations has a very strong. By the way, if you could statement. tweet that quote out, I would appreciate it. I'll right. tweet that. that. That's that's a perfect quote. That's, there's there's right. nothing better than that. I don't know if it will meet the word limit. The little circle might fill up. You're good like that, Malka. I'll do my best. You know, just use like cut out amber the, sands. Yeah, those things. Uh, Malka, what else did I want to say to you? I know that there's a story you're excited about about uh, about Aliyah in baseball. Is that right? Well, I'm. I don't know if I'm exactly excited about it, but when I saw it, I thought it was a cute story. I can't say, I will preface this by saying, and I don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings because I know that Jews are very, very into this, but I absolutely cannot stand baseball. And if I had to watch one sport on TV, the last one would be baseball and before baseball would be golf because at least it's kind of quiet. Have you ever seen curling? That is amazing. What is that? It's when they when they like slide this big slow heavy piece of marble on an ice and then i grew up in texas there was no curling it's an curling is what you do to to your bangs before you go out okay there's no curling okay anyway but i will say that this is a baseball story but it's so cute that i'm going to share it with you which is that this coming week 10 American Jewish major and minor leaguers, mostly minor leaguers, (laughs) are going to be making Aliyah. 10 Jewish American baseball players are going to be uh, making Aliyah. Why? Because the Olympics are coming in 2020 and they want to play for the Israeli Olympic baseball team. And you have to be a citizen of the country that you are representing for at least one year before the pre-Olympic stuff. So I guess pre-Olympic, like I guess what you're saying, uh, whatever it is, what you're saying is that they're making a home run. Uh, that was good. There you go. I like that. That was cute. That's right. So these people are making Aliyah. It turns out that five of them have already played for Israel in something called the World Baseball Classic, which I guess is just some other world competition for baseball. And the whole world was shocked. I'm shocked when I read about it that Israel actually reached the quarterfinals in that competition, which seems to me so unlikely, given that we know almost nothing about baseball in Israel. (laughs) 
It turns out that many of the players are pitchers. Yeah. I didn't know that you need more than like two or three pitchers. Yeah. Not a belly itcher, for example. Yeah. Sorry about that. But they're they're going to start making Aliyah. Five of them have already played for Israel. Oh, they're oh they're managers. Oh, they're the managers of the team. No. Oh, owners. They're owners no, of the team. No, no. Sorry, they're, they're actual of, real players, they're, and they're from oh, all over the weird. place. <laughs> oh, they're the they're the advertising executive for the team. Is that what you're saying? No, they're they're actually players. I they're get actually it. Okay. players, and some of them are from weird places like Kansas. All right. Hey, you're practically from Kansas. Kansas is. I don't know how many Jews are from Kansas. And how many Jews are from Sherman, Texas? Not Sherman, Texas, but there's a lot of Jews from Texas these All right. days. All right. Speaking speaking Malka of, I think that's a great story. It's a real home run of a story. It's good. God bless it. God bless those folks. And um, and yeah, you know what I mean. I hope that they they stick around after the Olympics as well. And we're so proud to have to have. I think it's cute. I think it's cute. Also, if and if, I know if, that you have a, a an opposition to forget, professional let's not, sports. Let, let's not go there. The bottom line is, if these Jews are are coming home to the homeland in order to represent us internationally in baseball, well, more power to them. That's all I have to say. Maybe they'll win. It's a grand slam. Okay. The other thing I want to say, Malka, they're is building. That, apparently, they're going to be building some baseball fields here in Israel, like some real baseball fields. I think Beit Shemesh is one of the. I places. saw kids here in in Judea playing baseball. Yeah, I'm here like, in Efrat, kids like, like baseball. I was like, uh, where's the ball supposed <clears> to go? You have how many feet do you have of space? Also, why are you standing around for such a long time doing nothing? Is this a sport? I can't understand baseball. Anyway, I can't understand it. You know, baseball, Ishai, is a sport for accountants and math people. It's a enjoy, sport for the people who like math. Not to play, not to play. You mean they to watch. do the scores and right, the statistics, right. and they know the hits and all yeah. the, the other words that I don't know what they are. Yeah, and they know how many of them Runs and percentages. Batted in RBIs and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We took our child to uh, we took our children one time for Shabbat to another community where there's a lot of Anglo's, and the candy man. You know, sometimes in shul. Here's for all of you who don't know. Okay, I'm gonna let you into a little Jewish life here for those of you who are not Jewish and listening to the show. In shul, in a good shul, a synagogue, in a, house a good of synagogue house of prayer, not a lame one, in a good one. On Shabbat, there's always a guy. He is self-nominated who becomes the candy man. The candy man's job is to keep his pockets full of candy. And when little Jewish children come to the synagogue, they like stand in front of him very embarrassedly and obviously with pleading eyes and he gives them a piece of candy. Can I be and that, that when is, I grow up? I wish you would be the candy man. But the candy man's the, the best guy in show. Can I be a shtickle scary candy no, man? No, 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 you can't. I, I want to be the one that's a little bit hard no, to approach. No, no, I don't want that. Oh. No, you should be easy to approach and really, really nice and safe feeling. I'll try, I'm trying, I'm trying. <laughs> anyway, that's all kinds of other personal issues. The point is that, <laughs> that the candy man... In shul, he gives out a candy. But in today's world, some people, they don't want their kids to eat a candy. No. My brother, for example, if the candy man gives a candy to his kid, he flips out because the- No. The, my brother doesn't want their kids to eat candy because, because the, the, his children- Oh, don't eat, react well Don't to react well to sugar. Right. So instead, people are now giving away different things. Right. So this candy man gave out American baseball cards. And my son, who has never seen the game of baseball in any form, meaning to say he's never seen a game of baseball, he certainly never watched it on TV, nothing. He's like, he, we had to explain it to him, what is this baseball card? And he immediately was like into it, because it's was a like, collector thing. Right, he loves And collecting. kids like to collect stuff. And he's like, cool. But then his father, your son and mine, his father, that being me, was like, what is this thing? 
Wait, but then the other child, the young child of our friends who we had visited, went to his little room and he came back with a huge stack of these baseball cards that he had been collecting because the Candyman gives it out. And I thought it was a little bit weird, right? Because who cares about American baseball, especially in Israel? But B, what's he going to do with all these baseball cards? I just had a great idea. I just had a great idea. Parsha cards, right? Noah cards, for example, Torah portion yes. Noah cards with the different animals, with the characters who were on the boat, statistics on the back. How long did statistics? Met- yeah, how long That's did Metushelach live? Yeah, but there's no new. You can't. How many new ones can you make? It's like Metushelach has been dead for a long time. He doesn't have new he like lived statistics. For a long time, He's not. Maka. He didn't get traded to a new team. He didn't like. Score a lot of whatever. Yeah, but we'll this make year. Our cards What's, fun. What is it when you get three guys all into the thing at the same time, and then you run, and then it's four people? Uh, 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 a home run? No, no, oh, no. Grand it's slam? better. Grand slam. Yes, I mentioned that. He didn't. Sl- Matushak didn't, didn't hit any grand slams this year. Oh, you know what, Malka? You're right. But anyway, the bottom line is, is that I, I don't, uh, don't get me started on baseball we could cards. Do rabbis and like the new books they publish. Yeah, all kinds of no, but that no, that's boring. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about like war, like like Moses, war. Moses scorecard in the you back. Are, are, bit obsessed with the war thing listen imagine if you had a moses card who he killed og he killed this person spoke for 30 days gave these uh, these many laws well, the truth is that there are collector cards and in the haredi world if you like get in there it's not it didn't make it into the they religious have science world they have, rabbi, they have cards. rabbi cards and they have all kinds of different collector cards because yeah, cool. they know that kids want to collect stuff they're very good okay but uh maybe ma- we should you we should get israeli politician cards we should i want the nikki haley She's not an Israeli politician. I, I she's ha- an Israel-related politician. And Moshe person. Herman, who who is one of the uh, uh, producers of the show, and I want to thank Moshe Herman, Tabitha, and Ben Bresky for doing such a great job putting up the show. Moshe Herman knows that I have two sets of Gulf War cards. <laughs> okay, the Saddam Hussein like pack. The Saddam Hussein edition. Pack? Yeah, you know the ones that like the the Americans gave it out, and they were like the ace of space is Mustafa Ben, mm-hmm. you know, even. Yes. whatever it is and and like um and like i had this whole thing and then it has all the cards of the different players that america has different jets different interesting this. it's cool it's cool it's war, is, war is uh well, lucrative well yeah i mean and what is baseball fake war yeah little little fake mini war anyway listen speaking of fake war uh there's a real war afoot and our good friend uh ari fold was murdered uh a few weeks ago I just want to say that I was at a little gathering recently, and we were talking about Ari Fold and how amazing of a person he was, and that he every Thursday night he went to the Kotel, and he prayed there, and he learned there, and also that he was really responsive to, to all kinds of emails from all kinds of people, and I get a lot of emails. I'm not always the most responsive. A lot of things going on. I'm not sure I always take everybody you know, as seriously as I should, and then when I, when I heard about you know, how Ari Fold had really helped a lot of people like that, I, was, I, I just got re-inspired again, and, and I... Uh, you know, uh, I I think that that we have to take this Ari full thing as an inspiration. At the same time, I want to tell you that the two more people were murdered at the beginning of this week. Horrific. Uh, here in Israel, and um, it was Kim Levingrad and Ziv Levingrand Yechezkel. Levingrand Yechezkel. Kim Kim Levingrand Yechezkel, and she, you know, a, a very pretty lady, and a lot of people kind of like were like were like shocked. Kind of, I know there was something shocking about that. And well, a she was a young mother, also, a, a, young a young mom, wife, a, a student, young mother. a student for from in, a close law, family, 
from a what? A close family. Yeah, close family. Father very close to her. And also, she was studying for the bar. Right. Uh, and uh, Ziv Hajbi. Ziv Hajbi, an accountant. A really, like, sweet father, like, good person. Right. Just a young Two man. Two young guys just shot down, mowed down by this, by this, by this you know, Disgusting killer who we terrorist. can't find. We haven't been able to find yet. Some, some. Uh, I don't some know what that's about. That he may, he may be already dead. But anyway, we haven't been able to find him in any case. <clears throat> These two people were murdered, and and it was just like it was a heartbreaker because here's another murder of young people, and and I looked at the pictures of the the people who've been murdered in the last year, a lot of young people, a lot of young parents, and um, you know it just it just the, the train keeps rolling by, and we're just not allowed to rage, we're not allowed to flip out, we're not allowed to 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 express you know anger. We talked about it on on uh, with Rabbi Mike, and we're only allowed to. And he talked about that we don't, we're not really even allowed to express mourning in a real way. That was Rabbi Mike's take on it. The bottom line is, is that uh, a lot of good people have fallen, and we are indeed, yes, Malka, we are in a war. And that's what Rabbi Mike said also the last part of the show, which is like you have, to, you have to recognize that we're in a war. I know we're in a war, Yishai, so let's like, what I'm saying only is like, let's do that war. Let's do it all the way so we can stop. Amen. So we don't have to keep doing this like mini war all the time. Amen. Let's just do it, get her done, and uh, and then oh, and then it will be better for everybody. Absolutely, and we also have our personal wars. Everybody, we have our personal wars to do better this year, to raise our kids better, to learn more Torah, to be healthier, uh, to spend our time better, uh, and to listen and watch more quality uh, um, broadcasts and, and and media. And we try here to. Uh, to create some of that for you. And we want to thank you so much for being part of that. I also want to thank the good folks at Tchelet who create the true blue Jew strings. Uh, the, blue, the real Tchelet, the original Tchelet, the biblical Tchelet is back. And as we talked about in the last half, and I'm sending out on the email as well, an invitation for you to come out to Chaye Sarah, to the, uh, to the celebration, as, as a Gentile friends of mine, Gentile friends of mine call it Sarah's Holiday. Okay, That's nice. the rec- the purchase of the Maratha Machpelah, as written about in the Torah portion of Chaye Sarah. See, I think that they should do. Uh, in Let Judaism. me just say the two websites. Yeah, okay, the sorry, two websites do. are t e k h e l e t dot com and hebronfund.org. Come into those sites, be part of it, be part of the great story, and of course, check out yishayfleischer dot com. We have many projects. Our flag page is almost up. Okay, it's almost up. I'm very excited about it. We have um, a lot of incredible flags. We have a lot of inc- incredible flags waiting for you right now. And, of course, the Land of Israel Network, the host of uh, this show. So thank you so very much. What were you saying, Malka? I was just saying, in Judaism, we don't have a Mother's Day. And some people are very opposed to like adding holidays right. for the Jewish people and stuff like that. I'm not sure I feel that way. Um, and I think that Chaye Sarah should be... There should be some kind of like Jewish Mother's Day around that. That's a good idea. I mean, I would, I would say... We don't have a Father's Day either. I would say, how about we make it for Father's and Mother's Day, like oh, like, nice. like recognition of Parents the forefathers. Yeah, yeah, but recognition of the of the actually the forefathers and mothers, the the great heroes. Okay, Malka Fleischer, thank you so much for joining me, and have a happy Parshat Noach. Thank you, you too. Okay, uh, I hope we get that rain, just not on that level. There, there you go. That's right. We need we need. We need a little bit of rain. We need good. We need. We good need rain. a lot of we rain. Need a lot actually, of rain. we need right. we need uh, to fill up. Water from six years of drought. That's it's right. a serious situation. Uh, oh, Lord, who brought down the great uh, torrential downpour of the deluge, uh, give us only the good portion of that. Help us get rid of the bad guys 
and help us fill up those aquifers and help us have those blessings. Thank Amen. you very much, God, for, for the opportunity. Maka, thank God for you, and thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Ichai. Thanks, God, to all of you for being out there that listen to the end of the show. Write me a hashtag. Listen to the end and heard Maka's uh, baseball, uh, the baseball, the, the home run. You know what? Hashtag home run. You do hashtag home run. I know you listen to the end of the show. God bless you folks wherever you are. Stay tuned. Stay strong. Stay connected. Shana Tova. Let's start this one right. Let's hit. Let's load up those bases and bring them all home. Shalom and God bless you. Torah thoughts and inspiration from the heartland of Israel. Tune in every week to the Soul of Israel with Rabbi Shlomo Katz on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.